This is a special episode of the podcast. I've got a guy that is uh, looking at his last race weekend before retiring. It's up beside me, one of my greatest rivals throughout my career, Marco Malandri. So thanks for sitting down with me, Marco. I know it's a must be a stressful time before your last weekend. It's something special. Yeah, it's very special and nice to be here, actually. Thanks to you. But uh, every story has to begin and suddenly has to finish. So I think my career has been very long and it's good. Uh, it's good time anyway. I feel very with a good mood. Yeah, I can imagine after such um, a great career riding in Grand Prix at 15 years of age, and now you're still in World Championship racing, still uh, enjoying racing. But there must be that time, like you said, you know when it's time to retire, and uh, yeah, I think you're happy with that decision. Yeah, it's suddenly you feel inside yourself when uh, something is broken. So when it's time to change and. When you don't uh, love so much where, uh, what you do and what has been the love of your life, it means it's time to change. So uh, I feel okay with, uh, with uh, what I did. For sure I could win a bit more, I could do something better or different, but uh, life teaches you all the time, every day, so it's good like that. Okay, well, the reason behind this podcast is um, to talk about your early career. And I think your story is a very interesting one. There's only four years between us. You uh, were born in 1982. So it was an interesting time in Italy whenever you started racing at like eight years of age in Minimoto. And that was... Um, things have changed now because all these riders are riding motocross and flat tracks here to begin. But you came through the era where in Italy, Minimoto was uh, the path to MotoGP. And it seems so strange because the bikes are so fucking small. <laughs> and that was the, the path to, to go 125, 250, 500 Grand Prix. Um, did you have anybody in your family racing or somebody in your area? Yeah, my father was racing for fun, but he didn't have enough money and maybe talent, I don't know. <laughs> so he transferred to me the, the, the passion. And actually I started my career with a BMX. And when I was going to do a race at BMX, I saw the Minimoto and we stopped and just ran one to, to, to try. And from there, started my career. Even if my first bike that I rode was a Malaguti Grizzly motocross, I started when I was four, around Christmas, I get a, as a present a bike because my mom was very sick. So before to, to go, she wanted to see me, how do you say, make it through my dream because my dream yeah. from when I born was riding a bike cool. so I started like that and it's been so quick everything so you rode a BMX uh, first and then you transferred to mini moto um, do you remember the different feeling because I remember when I did motocross as a kid I enjoyed riding it but it was only whenever I went onto tarmac onto asphalt that I thought wow this is something for me so did you have something similar when yeah. you first went on asphalt for me it was the same yeah actually and at that time you could rent the bike even to make races because Minimoto was a really beginning yeah and I did a race and I crashed because uh, when the first uh, lap at me it bring me down so <laughs> I wanted to race again just because I was very angry <laughs> and then the second race I was fighting for win and there become myself the bike and you were very young then you weren't even 10 yeah years I was away. eight years old oh. yeah I started early and that time was uh, the step between Minimoto and road racing was a, a big jump. So when I was only 12, I started with 125 on track 
And I remember I crashed in the paddock because I was too small, so I couldn't put a <laughs> foot on the floor. And still, I remember like if it was yesterday. Yeah, I remember riding many moto, but I think that was because of you guys were doing it in Italy. Of course, in the UK and in Ireland, then we tried to copy because at that time, we didn't have any good riders. So we thought, what are these guys doing? And we saw you were riding many moto. So we tried it, but it seems like Italy was was really a, a step ahead at that stage. Valentino Rossi is uh, some years older than you as well. He'd been doing that in Italy and then you followed. Uh, within a few years, you were already Italian mini moto champion. And uh, I yeah. read that in 1992, you were champion of Italy. Yeah, I won in 1992. Then I had some, they let me go in the next class, even if I was too young, because I won all the races the year before. And I changed the uh, brand of Minimoto, and I had some problem, but I was fighting always second, third, winning. And it was a nice battle, because uh, the bike was so small, so you learn to use your body a lot. So I think it was a, a very good school. Yeah, these bikes, uh, Polini, were very popular in yeah. Italy, weren't they? I think a lot of guys grew up riding Polini. The first one was uh, Vittorazzi. That uh, it's been uh, the man. He bring the first mini moto from Japan to Italy. Then he started to build in nineties. Yeah. Then in ninety three, born Polini and was very fast. Yeah. So you were still um, riding mini moto for a few years, from what I read, and then the opportunity came to to step up onto one two five CC bike. Well, at that stage, you you must have been still very young, and like you said, yeah. you couldn't put your feet down. So, what was the difference like from going from a mini motorbike with just a few horsepower to get on a one two five cc and go in sixth gear? Yeah, it was amazing. I remember the first time I opened full throttle with one twenty five on track. I say to myself, it "Was too powerful to be right by myself." It was amazing. <laughs> Then after some laps, getting better and better, feeling easy, feeling confident, and see some rider faster than me, helped me to grow up. And uh, did Loris Reggiani uh, spot you when you were quite young? Uh, you were obviously a star at that time in Italy because you were young. They stepped you up into the next category because you were too fast for the other guys. So they, uh, they obviously must have had an eye on you from right from the beginning and think, OK, this could be the, the next guy to follow through with uh, Rossi and the, the rest. Yeah, I've been very lucky because as a family, we didn't have enough money to race with a big bike. So Loris built a team uh, for the Italian Championship in 94. And that time we had many friends together they helped me to push him to let me try the bike in the end of the year. And after one day, I was uh, with the same lap time and guys were racing from all the season. So after that, he say, I can give you an help if you want to race. And he helped me to start it because uh, we didn't really have money to buy the bike. And what this sport, unfortunately, is very expensive. Ah, that was fortunate then because that is the tough thing, isn't it, in this sport? If you don't come from a privileged background where your parents can just go and buy everything, then how do you get that step? So that was nice that somebody like Loris Reggiani saw some talent in you, obviously some work ethic, and thought this guy can make the next step. You stepped up, up on 125cc bikes, and again, like Minimoto, you were, you were winning pretty quickly in the in Italian Championship. Yeah, it's been very quick for me because the first year I won Italian Championship on the trophy and I did uh, the last four European Championship round because uh, my birthday was in the middle of the season. Then I had one DNF and three wins, so it was something so quick. And the year after, I find myself in the immediately in World Championship. So it's been so quick that I couldn't realize what's 
what's going on. Yeah, that must have been so surreal because if you're watching it on TV and dreaming of one day arriving in a World Championship and then you win in Italy and then before you know it, yeah. you're, you're in Grand Prix racing and you're still going to school every day and they're telling you at school, okay, you need to study, yeah. <laughs> you need to get this job. The first season, I still was going to school. The first year I did the World Championship. But uh, I couldn't go through the next class because I was missing too many days. <laughs> And uh, did you start to realize then, okay, it is a, is a career because when you grow up in school at that age, they're always telling you that, uh, yeah, you know, you have to get a real job. Suddenly you're missing all these days in the school and you're going off to, to be a world championship rider. Yeah, that time was a bit bad because once you were a pro rider, you get some money, even if it was not too much, but you get some money. So I was 15, I had two years contract, so I was taking money more than go to work in a bar or something like that. Well, so I say, okay, I can stop school for two years. If it's going bad with motorcycle, I can come back. Right. Looks like I lost two years at the school. If it's good, that means I can go further with motorcycle. <laughs> so luckily, it was good for me. <laughs> I had to go and travel the world at that age. It must be a big eye opener. What way did you travel that year? Did you have a parent with you or somebody to take care of you? Or were you just thrown no. in with a team and say, Yeah, when luck. I was 15, I was going... Sometimes my father was coming with me, but mainly all the time I was alone. So I think uh, you learn many things, because at that time we were not even telephone to call anything. It was difficult, so no internet. And was good. Uh, it's bad and go to school for me. Yeah, not certainly. Uh, I was 11 whenever you went into Grand Prix racing then, and I do remember my first ever Grand Prix I went to was Donington Park in 1998. And I'm sure I've told you before whenever we were teammates that uh, yeah, back then I was 11 years old and I went to get Marco Melandri's autograph. So that was uh, amazing then uh, at that age. I never believed that then just well, how many years later, it would be 13 years later, that we, we would be teammates together in uh, Yamaha World Superbike. So you just never know how and things are going to work. you beat me two times in Monza. <laughs> <laughs> you still remember that? Yeah. Uh, we, had, we had some uh, great battles. Like I said at the start of the, the podcast, uh, it's nice to sit down and interview on the eve of your, your last race weekend because I had three great racing rivals through my career, I would say. Two were in Supersport. Cal Crutchlow, Kenan Swafoglu, and in Superbike was, was definitely you. I think we had some incredible Thanks. battles in the, yeah. in the last laps. And yeah, we often uh, fell out and we were angry with each other, but that's because we both, I think we were two guys that were used to winning on a last sure. lap fight. And whenever there's two guys wanting to win in the last lap fight, you can't always. So I was the same whenever you beat me some last laps in Monza the next year, I think 2013. Yeah. Then. You did a really good move on me in the last corner and you won the race. So I think if we look at our battles, over the years, probably it was half and half. Yeah, you won, I so, and I won. Like um, right, so looking back then on that stage, 125 Grand Prix, um, you were already 15, you won a race in Assen against yeah. uh, a guy who was a hero of mine at that time as well, Kasuro Sakata. Yeah, it was fast. Yeah, remember that era whenever there was these fast Japanese guys in 125? He won in 94, the championship. Yeah. So you were watching him and looking up to him, yeah. I'm sure, four years earlier? Yeah, because it was 12 at that time. So. To beat him in uh, Aachen was unreal for me, it was really unreal. I still remember like if it was yesterday, it's crazy. I think you passed him in the last UK, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, I remember watching that race as well. Uh, my dream at that time was 125 Grand Prix. I wasn't actually interested in 250 Grand Prix or 500. So I was watching uh, 
you were against Kasuros Okada in that last lap was uh, something special. But I can't imagine how it was for you then, just 15, racing with your hero and being paid money to do it. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> and first season, I lost the championship because I finished third, 23 points behind the first. But uh, Germany, I was leading the race. Last lap, I crashed. So ah. otherwise, I could win the championship in the really? first season. Yeah, was uh, I waste so many championships, actually. <laughs> no, that's that's what's great about our sport, though, that you have to put an entire season together. and You win some, you, you lose some, but you didn't have to wait too long then. 2002, you finally uh, landed that World uh, Championship in, in 250 with the Aprilia. So um, you were still very young at that stage, if I remember right. You 20. were the, the youngest 250 yeah. World Champion at that stage. Yeah. So um, only 20 years of age. Uh, you'd set a lot of records for being uh, the youngest guy. Scott Redding then came yeah. after you and, and took the record. Yeah. But I mean. And now Onchu beat him, beat uh, Redding. What's that? Last year, Onchu ah, yeah. beat uh, Redding. Yeah, Onchu has He's as well. the youngest now, yeah. Well, in, uh, see, when I was that age, I was too immature. I don't think I had the, the head on my shoulders to, to win a race. I was just thinking about eating sweets and playing PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys uh, were a little bit uh, ahead in that respect. Um, after you went through 250, then um, the door opened up to go into MotoGP. Um, probably your best year would have to be 2005, then when yeah. you finished second in the championship. Uh, must have been Rossi won the title, and then you were fighting yeah. with uh, Nicky, I think. Yeah, it was, that time MotoGP was not easy, because 2003, when I arrived, Yama was with a carburetor, no electronics, so many crash, many bad crash, yeah. 2005, as you say, was... Uh, Maybe the best season because I had many podium, two wins, and I did second. But 2006, I had maybe some better races. I won three races, but I have some races also very bad. And I did fourth in the championship, but 22 points from the leader, I think. Yeah. So it was very close with a few big crash. Barcelona. Was that injury. the turn one in Barcelona, yeah. 2006? A few injuries. But anyway, it was... I think that bike was the best bike for my riding style. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there was a, a good time for MotoGP racing where the private teams could really be competitive. Yeah. And you were there in the Telefonica movie star Honda and, Fortuna. and Seri Gibernau as well was able yeah. to be competitive. Um, it was a different era, but something really good to watch. But you're, for your, your height, you were one of the shorter guys in the grid and the bikes then were so big, weren't they? Now the bike is a lot smaller. Yeah. I can remember whenever you were in MotoGP then, you had to be really strong. Yeah. I mean, your upper body was um, much bigger than when you were yeah. in 125 and 250, but sure. you had to be because the bikes didn't have so much electronic aids. Yeah. So whenever you changed from 250 to MotoGP, what was, did you do? Did you just hit the gym? <laughs> yeah, it was very difficult. It was very difficult because the bike maybe was 210 horses power, but we're 210 everywhere, yeah. every gear, every corner. So it was very aggressive the bike and so easy to have eyesight. And I've been, yeah, maybe I was even too big. I was very big at that time. But then Danny Pedrosa came and he was uh, small. I don't think he had the frame to, to grow. Like you've got a different build to, to Danny. You were able to gain some muscle and become strong, but thankfully for Danny, the, the bikes became smaller then and he was able to, uh, to manage them. The next step in your career then uh, we'll speak about is whenever we did cross paths 2011. Um, I was really surprised whenever I heard that you were thinking to move from MotoGP at that stage to, to come to the World Superbike. Uh, when did you first think maybe I could give Superbike a shot? Because it wasn't a usual yeah. step. A lot of guys Especially didn't. Especially uh, because I was uh, 
28. So normally some people were doing the end of their career yeah. when they were very old. But for me, when I realized in MotoGP I could be only a number, I couldn't have a good bike to fight for a win. For me, it was not important anymore to stay there. So I got a good chance with Yamaha and I changed. And if I have to come back, I will do it again for sure. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's been a great part of your career because you've really fitted into the World Superbike when you came. A lot of guys at that stage did as well. Carlos Checa came and he, he won the championship in 2011 yeah. and probably rode better than, uh, than he ever did. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible how, how quickly the time has passed, but I learned a lot from you in that year, I would say 2011. Uh, I'd stepped up from Supersport. It was funny, I didn't know nothing about the, how to set up the bike. I yeah, I think electronic, I see from when it's burned to every step. So if you come from super sport, you find all this electronic, I think is not easy, it must be not easy. But I think maybe to see like some rather with more experience, you can learn something, how to see the data, because it's very important to work not only on the bike, but also in the garage, I think. And that's why it was a great mix. That year you came in as an experienced rider, I came in completely as a rookie. Some of the conversations we had uh, at our first test where you were speaking to me about the, the butterfly and uh, I was looking at what what, what's the butterfly? <laughs> I was thinking like a farfalla and a butterfly uh, flies around and then I had to go and check it in Google. Ah, okay, yeah, Marco knows a lot more and at that stage things like chain force and pivot position. Yeah. All I knew from Supersport was uh, softer, harder, up and down. Yes. Suddenly we had something completely new. So I was lucky to have you on the other side of the guys to, to steer development uh, a little bit. But um, hey, like I said, it was a, it was a nice little uh, mix. Unfortunate that that didn't continue for the second year, wasn't it? Yeah, for me, that team was the best. Even the bike, for sure, was too big, many yeah. problems. But uh, by character, from my riding style, was very good. I loved that bike. Yeah, for me as well. I have to say, I was excited for that second season, but yeah, at that stage, Yamaha decided to stop, and then we had to we had to look for new jobs. <laughs> Remember how much of a shock that was? We yeah. had the contract to continue for 2012, and then we get the phone call to say, yeah. uh, "You don't have a job next year." So I thought, "Fuck, we have to go and uh, and search." And we were both looking for the same jobs. You were in second position in the championship. I think I was at that stage fourth or fifth in the championship. So. Uh, you had priority. Uh, I had to wait to see where you were going to go, and you went to the BMW, and then I managed to, to find a seat in Aprilia in the end. So, again, we managed to, to have some good fights immediately on the Yamaha, places like Magni Core, where I think you beat me both times on the last, the last lap. lap. So I was I was learning learning from the master at that always stage. Always coming, always in the end. Yeah, I I, you were so strong at the end. I need longer race. <laughs> and next year, then was a bit of a learning year for me on uh, the Aprilia, so I wasn't so strong. But you fought for the championship immediately yeah. in your first year on BMW. Was, yeah. When I was leading the championship in Nürburgring, we were ready for the end, the last three rounds, but suddenly the boss of BMW came saying, OK, guys, we close everything. Oh. Then that time was hard, because uh, when you fight for a championship and, you know, everybody is looking for a job, that time mentally I felt very bad. So. I crashed four times in six races. I never crashed before, so we really waste the chance to win the championship. I think if you see how Biaggi and Sykes did the last three rounds, we could win. Yeah. Not easy, but without making mistakes, we could we could win. Uh, it's so important uh, the riders had to be uh, happy and feel stable. 
I didn't know that then. You said that BMW decided that stage we're not going to continue next year. Yeah, Saturday after the qualifying in Nürburgring, the bus yeah. come. Hey guys, next year everybody home. Ah, and then Sunday you had the, the crash in the race whenever you were so strong. Uh, that's uh, that's so important to, to balance a rider's head. You have to keep them happy and safe because one small mistake and you're on your ass. Yeah. And that's what, exactly what happened then on Sunday. Some of our best battles, I would say, then came the following year, 2013, because uh, we wanted to, to beat each other so much. So we had a nice fight at the opening round in Phillip Island. Probably the Monza was uh, the first one where we really went head to head on the last yeah. lap. You you beat me on the last lap I we mentioned before. Two years before, yeah. Yeah, you remember. Two years before I made a mistake last lap, last corner. Ah, that's right. I forgot about that one. We mentioned uh, when we were teammates in Yamaha, we had a great last lap fight in uh, Monza. Neither of us wanted to lead because we knew the slipstream was yeah. so important. So you were trying to go slowly, and I was looking behind to make sure that the next guy wasn't going to catch me. We arrived at the last corner, so that was um, that was a, a cool race. Then, like you said, 2013. You stayed behind me and then you passed me in the last corner at Parabolica and beat me to the line. The next race, uh, race two, I won, but because I decided to, to push on the penultimate lap yeah, and I got a small gap and managed to win the race. And that year, we were both fighting for, for the championship, um, trying to chase down Sykes and the Kawasaki. Um, I, I remember the last round whenever we fought, obviously, in, uh, in Jerez. Ah, yeah. We had a big fight. That was, was really nice pass. Because I say, I have to stay inside because I remember everybody was cleaning out everybody else. I have to stay inside and you pass me from it. <laughs> I remember that one fondly, obviously, but I think it was, that was something that you could only do once. I remember everything like it was slow motion. I don't know why, but my brain just slowed down and I was able to decide to go outside. So It was uh, awesome. I enjoyed it. but Then I didn't make race two because I broke the ankle the week before. So in race one, I gave everything I had. After the race, the ankle swallowed too much. Say, okay, I cannot race anymore. Yeah, I remember uh, that actually because we arrived on the grid and I said, where's Marco? He's not here. So I thought, well, <laughs> I can relax because I knew you were the only guy that could yeah. beat me in race two that day. Uh, unfortunately, I missed out on the championship, but at least uh, I was able to finish with a double win. And and then I, I moved on to Suzuki and uh, you replaced me in, in Aprilia then. We didn't really have so many fights in 2014. I wasn't uh, so strong, but... Um, after we both actually went to MotoGP at the same time. It was something that I wanted to do. 2015 you, you Yeah, I, I moved to MotoGP in 2015 yeah. and uh, that was a step that I wanted to do in my career. I wanted to, to move there, just one of those uh, things that I said, I have to try yeah, it, I, I need to go there. But if you don't have good bike, it's no reason to go. Exactly, now I know that. Yeah. <laughs> at that time I was naive and I just wanted to, to go there. You went with uh, Priya, uh, but you weren't so keen to go there, were you? Yeah. You were almost forced to, to yeah. move to MotoGP. Yeah, I didn't want to go because Alpeziano, when was leading, was strange mentality. But yeah, actually, he didn't choose to go to MotoGP, but they wanted to bring me in. When the rider doesn't want to do something, even if he has the best bike of the world, he will never do well, no. for sure, because you must trust what you do. But uh, I prefer to quit because was not developed the bike and was very bad situation so I preferred to quit it. I thought my career was gone, was finished yeah. and suddenly some opportunity come back without expecting that actually. I think that's uh, probably one of the most interesting uh, periods in your career because I knew that you'd more or less retired, you'd stopped for a year, year and a half mm. but you wanted to come back and yeah you, you had earned uh, 
enough money in MotoGP and uh, you you just wanted to come back just to enjoy racing again. Yeah. You didn't uh, demand any big salary. You just said, you know what, I want to come back and race and win. And I think you earned a lot of respect for that from all the, the other riders because that shows that you still had a, a big desire. You came back and you did win. So you'd won with Yamaha, you'd won with BMW, uh, you'd won with Aprilia, and then you came back and you won with Ducati. Yeah. So to win with so many manufacturers, it shows that you're a very yeah, versatile and rider. And I am the only one won in Philip Island with all four classes. You've won on uh, yeah, 125 to 50, MotoGP supervised. So. Your I most famous YouTube video is the last yeah. corner on Philip Island, MotoGP, yeah. isn't it? The people will remember always me about that. So it's more important that corner than one championship winning, <laughs> for sure. That's the age we live in, isn't it? Because of social media and these videos. It almost doesn't matter if you become world champion. If you're somebody that's boring, people forget yeah. about you. But because you come out of the last corner with one hand in the air. And maybe nobody can do it anymore now. That, it's that's not true. easy. Yeah, you need though. to find a perfect situation. Okay, well, I've uh, enjoyed chatting with you. And this is uh, going to be an interesting weekend. Let's see how we manage in uh, Qatar. Let's forget about Argentina. We know what happened there. Yeah. With <laughs> I was not there. Uh, there. Hello. <laughs> Yeah. So this is the the last round. Yeah, I really hope you can have a good weekend. It's you always too. nice to finish on a, a strong result. And yeah, I appreciate uh, some of the, the things you taught me during our time as teammates and, and also as a rival. The reason why I'm strong in the last lap, it's because of you. <laughs> You're a hard bastard to, to beat. And uh, if I wanted to, to beat Marco Melandri, then I had to be a hard bastard as well. So cool. That's you good. taught me well. So good luck. Show me next year. Well, I need to. I need to get back and win a race. It's been too damn long. Let's do it. Thanks, Marco. Nice, nice to chat with you. Appreciate Thanks, it. Eugene. Thanks. See you.